uh, scripture memory verse. But actually today we're going to do something different. And for the next four weeks, what we're going to be doing is celebrating Advent. So Advent is a time in the church season where we take the time to just prepare for Christmas. And it's a very interesting um, time. And it's like there's a lot of history behind it. I was just doing research this, this week, like why do we do Advent? When did it start? Why is one of those candles not the same color as all the other ones? Um, and all those things. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be celebrating Advent here for the next four weeks. So we're not going to have our scripture memory program for the, for the month of December. Oh, I'm sorry. This, but so instead, we're going to do Advent. And what we're going to do for Advent is we're going to have just a little ceremony at this time in the service where, we, where we'll light the candles and uh, we're going to have scripture uh, readings. And there'll be four readings every week, usually two from the Old Testament and two from the New Testament, that have to do with the subject of, of Advent. There are four different topics in Advent. Um, they vary depending on who you look at and who you read. The ones we'll be focusing on, um, which I didn't write down, is hope, joy, peace, I think is the other one. And then there's another one, <laughs> love. See, how do you forget that's like the most important one, right? And then, uh, and then Christmas Eve will be the culmination of our celebration of Advent. Now, the word Advent is from a Latin word, Adventus. It's very creative, you know. But it just means arrival or coming. So the, when we say the Advent of Christ, we're saying the arrival of Christ. And there's two ways that we use the word Advent in theology. We say the, ad, the first Advent and the second Advent. The first advent is Christmas, when Jesus came and was born in the manger. And the second advent is the return of Christ when he comes back to rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years. So this season offers the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah and to be alert for his second coming. And so we've selected uh, scripture readings that reflect these truths. And each Sunday for the next four weeks, we'll be focusing on the different advents. Um, now, the Advent wreath has five candles in it. Um, each one is for a week of Advent and one for Christmas Eve. Now, three of the candles are purple, and they symbolize royalty, repentance, and reflection. And one is pink to symbolize joy. But, and there's a whole history behind why it's pink. And, um, and it's really because part of it is because Advent is to mirror Lent. So Advent is really the beginning of the church calendar, the church year. And Lent is like its counterpart. And there's a time in Lent where in the middle of the Lentil season, they f focus something different and they use different colors in their, in their gowns that they wear and stuff. And that, at that time, it's pink. And there's also a story that a pope gave someone a pink rose on some Sunday. And that's why, and that's why the candle is now pink. Um, but the idea is to focus on love that week. So the third week of Advent is the week is the advent of love and it's just to get you to realize just to think about that and that's why it's different the center candle is the christ candle and it's white to symbolize jesus's purity and his sinless life which was sacrificed for our sins and this is why jesus was even born and the way that he came through the virgin birth and everything and his holiness and his purity are all symbolized by the white candle and so every week you light one more candle and, um, and so that's what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. And so I'm going to have all these things in my hand. All right. So if you stand for, with me, we're going to have the readings and the lighting of the candle. Come on. And so the first um, Advent and what we celebrate today is the Advent of Hope. And our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, Here is the message about Judah and Jerusalem that was revealed to Isaiah, the son of Amos. In the future, the mountain of the Lord's temple will endure as the most important of mountains and will be the most prominent of hills. All the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the Lord's mountain, to the temple of the God of Jacob, so he can teach us his requirements and we can follow his standards. For Zion will be the center for moral instruction. The Lord will issue edicts from Jerusalem. He will judge disputes between nations. 
He will settle cases for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up the sword against other nations, and they will no longer train for war. O descendants of Jacob, come, let us walk in the Lord's guiding light. The second reading is from Luke 1.26-35. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledge to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of, the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. The third reading is from Isaiah seven ten to 11 and 14. Again, the Lord spoke to Isaiah, Ask the Lord God for a sin sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights, the Lord himself give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give you birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The fourth reading is from Matthew 1, 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's all bow in prayer. God, we pray that you would just quiet our hearts this morning, that you would humble our hearts, that we may hear you. God, that we would not be familiar with this story, that you are with us. You have sent Jesus that you did not leave us alone, God, in our own dismay. But you are such a great God. We pray that you would bless our pastor this morning, that you would anoint his message, God, that we would be on the edge of our seats to hear what you have to say to us this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may all be seated. Thank you. It's so um, good to be with you all this morning. Um, to celebrate the beginning of Advent. What a wonderful time of year. It's the most wonderful time of year. <laughs> and I just want to thank our young people. Um, at the, on the last, the fourth Sunday of the month, our young people really help us out with, with the worship service. So thank you. You saw them um, passing around uh, the offering baskets and greeting you and whatnot. So thank you to them. Great job. And I just want to welcome you all. Um, just uh, many new faces. So good to see you guys. And I want to remind you, this is a very new church. Um, a lot of us are, are very new because this is a new church. And if, if you're even newer than, um, than most, I, I want to point your attention to, on our program, on the back we have a list of our different small groups that we offer. And it's just a way to get to know people and fellowship with people. So I just encourage you to take a look at that. And if you want to just get to know people more, it's at people's homes. And that's a lot of fun. And, um, and also, um, praise God that it's the Advent season and Christmas Eve is coming. I want to encourage you all. Um, it's very easy to invite even um, the most hardened atheists to come to church during the Advent season. So just as believers in Jesus Christ, would you just take an opportunity to invite people um, that you might know, family or friends or coworkers, um, to come to hear the gospel at church 
um, and, uh, and just do that th this season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Christmas Eve, we're going to have a special service. Um, it's going to start at 5 o'clock. It goes from 5 to 7. Um, from 5 to 6, there's going to be a live manger. Um, we're going to do our Santa at the manger thing. There's going to be snacks and gifts and all sorts of things, and we're sending out mailers um, to the people in our community to come, and, um, and we're going to have some, some invites. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so there's nursery, but no Sunday school today. That's another different thing on our fourth Sunday of the month. I think we might have for neglected to mention that. So um, we do have our nursery, but I believe if you're, what, six and over or seven and over, you're going to be with us this morning. So, um, so praise God for our, our kids, because we love our kids, and that's why we do that. You know, they're an important part of our church. But anyway, so, so we're going to have some invitations for, for all these events for you coming up real soon. And it's just so good to see everybody. And praise God for the advent of hope. This, is, um, this sermon is really about hope. It's called the advent of hope. And hope is a very important part of uh, our lives as, as Christians, as human beings. Hope is a very, very important thing. And I just kind of felt led during our worship service um, to, to a, 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 part, um, a moment of, of prayer for each other. Some of us need hope this morning. Some of us are bleeding out, and there's things going on in our lives where we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So what I'd like you to do right now, and I know, I, I know for our introverts you're going to start cringing and you're going to hate this, um, but what I'd like you to do is uh, just get someone on the side of you um, and just say, hey, can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray for you for? Um, and, and just do that for a moment, um, just for a, f a few moments. Could you do that, church? Because there are some people, I think, in our church that need hope. So just find somebody and pray for them, okay? God, you are so good to us, and we thank you, Lord, that um, you have given us hope in Christ, Lord, that um, in spite of the trials of our lives, in spite of um, how we might not see um, a light at the end of the tunnel, um, because Jesus Christ came to this earth, was born in a manger, lived a perfectly obedient life, died for our sins, and resurrected to, eternal, to, to an eternal place and rulership over this world, we have hope. God, we thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that it would encourage us, bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you, you all have probably heard of um, 
if you've been a Christian for some time, you've probably heard of the apologist, very well-known apologist, Ravi Zacharias. Um, he was once asked by a student um, in a, a question, and that question was this. The student said, the state of humankind as we know it is on a serious downward, downward spiral. And from my perspective, it's only getting worse. Do you have any hope in the future of humankind, and specifically our generation? And if so, why? <laughs> I'm glad that he's answering those questions and not me. Um, hope is highly sought after these days. And agree with it or not, hope is hard to, to find for some people considering the results of the election. There are many people very afraid, and fear just sort of reigns. What will become of us? War, uh, an increase in sexism or racism, and all these different questions that come to many people's minds. And I think some of them are valid concerns, valid fears. And when fear as a, is, at a, is at a peak, people, humanity, become desperate for hope, don't they? We become desperate. Zachariah, Ravi answers him. He says, hope, like character, takes years to build and moments to shatter. Yet hope also, like character, does not live under the tyranny of the immediate. Important. It is built on the conviction that eternal values are unshakable. You see, the problem is within, he says. It's not the environment, E-N, it's the environment, I-N. And there lies our real need. The heart needs to change. That's our hope. Before, he continues, before World War II, when all things looked grim, King George VI spoke to the world on Christmas Day, 1939, right, right before um, the most, one of the most horrific wars um, in all of human history was about, to, was about to begin. He said, I said to the man, this is the king, I said to the man who stood at the gate of the new year, he's speaking metaphorically, he says, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hands into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. And after the war, German Chancellor Konrad Adenauer surveyed the ruins of Germany and said to Billy Graham, outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I know of no other hope for mankind. This is a, a message about hope. Christian hope is not built. This is Ravi's point, and this is very important. Christian hope is not built on the circumstances and tragedies of life. Our hope is not defined by the problems that we face. They aren't. It's not built on this. It's built on the in environment, not the environment, the environment. I know that's not a word, but go with us. The Christian heart is informed and convicted by the unchanging word of God. Dr. Keller, I've mentioned this before, he likens hope, Christian hope to a home with windows. So in other words, all of life is like this house that we live in, and without Jesus Christ, we have no windows. All we know is what's going on inside the house. But when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we get windows. We see through everything that's happening to us in our lives to a greater good, a greater end. And not only that, the, the windows provide light. In other words, it provides an explanation to why it is that we even experience the tragedies that we experience. As chaotic and turbulent as trials can be inside our home, the believer can see through the windows and what's to what's beyond. And the light from outside is shed on everything else inside. Amen? That Christ was born into this world, lived a perfectly obedient life, died for all repentant sinners. Please don't just gloss over these as kind of religious sentences that we're all used to hearing because they're so profound. Christ was born to the world. He lived a perfectly obedient life. He died for every repentant sinner that would come to faith in Jesus. He rose again. He ascended to the right hand of God where he rules and reigns. 
This is our hope, friends. Because this happened, we have hope. And it doesn't matter that ISIS exists. It doesn't matter who the president is. And it doesn't matter, honestly, and, and I say this with a grieving heart to you, but it really, the, whatever is happening to you in your life should not take your hope away. Because the hope that we have in Christ is based on his word and what Christ has done, not what's happening to us in our lives. Amen? What Christ accomplished provides for us with the, excuse me, what Christ accomplished provides us with the confident expectation of what Christ will supply us. And this is hope in scripture. You know, we use hope kind of flippantly today. Oh, I hope it doesn't rain today. Right? We, we say it kind of like a wish. That's what we mean, I wish, wishful thinking. That's not what hope is in Scripture. Hope is the confident expectation that God will, will be good with his promises because, because of who he is. Hope in Scripture is the confident expectation that God will bring to us what the death and resurrection of Christ has made possible, that he will do it. In our text, I'm using specifically Luke chapter 1. That's what we're going to kind of really focus on, um, the, the text that we read in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. God promises us, because of the death and resurrection of Christ, a union, a rescue, and a home. A union, a rescue, and a home. So let's start looking at these things. Now, hope is vital to our happiness. You know that if you lack joy, more than likely, it's because you lack hope. Let me explain. <clears throat> Scripture makes this plain. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, very popular passage. You might know it. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desired fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Should you lack joy, it's more than likely because of what you're hoping in, what you're hoping for. <clears throat> we at times um, anticipate, <laughs> excuse me, the, so, so the deferment of hope is sickening. When we hope in something and it's deferred, it sickens our heart. That's what the Bible says happens to the human, human heart when what we hope in doesn't come to pass. So you might hope that your father starts to love you. You might hope that you get married or have children. And the constant hoping in this and maybe perhaps the delay, the frequent delay of it is just making you sick. I think we've all been there, right? The deferment of hope is sickening. Now, like I said, we can use the word the hope lightly. We at times anticipate a nice meal or a vacation, Right? So sometimes we hope that we get these things. These are kind of smaller things in life. And when these hopes are deferred, we can sometimes exercise a certain amount of patience, you know, or, or we can just accept the fact that it didn't happen. But when the things that we long for are deep heart cries, love, marriage, children, affirmation, it just crushes us. It makes us sick, doesn't it? Each week that goes by, each month or year, can weaken our resolve and greatly sicken our hearts. And I, and I would guess that this morning, in a group this size, there might be some sick hearts. That your heart has become sick because your hopes aren't being realized. And friends, I have good news. Because what you hope for is really fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You might not know that, you might not, have seen, you might not see that, this might be the first time you've ever heard that concept, but everything that you hope for is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose of this sermon this morning. I want to try to convince you of this. The deepest longings of your hearts, the grand, your grandest hopes and dreams, are satisfied in your union with Christ. See, that was our first point, your union with Christ. It is accomplished and it is secured through the words and works, and life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You, upon your faith in Christ, are one with God. What could be greater than the hope of withness? Withness. That is, in Christ, for any repentant sinner, there is a union with God. God 
is with us. We see this in verse 28. The angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Isn't it one of the deepest cries of the heart to be with somebody, anybody, connected to, joined to, united to, someone that you love and desire and someone that loves and desires you in return? Oh, isn't it fabulous to see the puppy love of a 15-year-old? How they just long to be with that girl or that boy that they are in love with. And do you remember having a deep crush in high school and you found out that the other person had a crush on you too? Ah. She, she could walk by and her, her hair could just kind of create wind that you would feel on your face and you would almost faint. That was me, at least. To be with and friends, isn't it our just desire to have intimate connection and union with people? Why do you want to be married, friend? Why do you want to be with your children? God made you to be united to him. That's why. And as much, uh, as, much as you might be rejected this morning by some person that you care about, in Christ you are not rejected and never will be. The deepest cries of the heart to be with, connected to, joined to, united to, our maker. Our text tells us that, angel, that the angel Gabriel was sent from God's heaven to seek out, forgive, and commission Mary. Isn't this incredible? What a valuable person she must have felt like that, that day. That she was sought out from, from the king of heaven, pursued by an angel. Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The great God of heaven sends the gift of salvation to humans in a serene, unadorned package, said Dr. Bach. Isn't that interesting? Even John the Baptist had a more public announcement. Did you know this? He was, his dad was in a temple, and he was struck in with, what was it, with mutinous? He couldn't speak. And all the priests, what's going on? And right, It was a very public announcement. John the Baptist, not so with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world's sins. He comes to Mary in isolation by herself. No pomp, no fanfare. But that's not how Mary felt. Because Mary got an announcement from the king that he was with her. That he loved her. That he had forgiven her. We're going to get to that in a second. A mighty angel sent from heaven to Nazareth and Galilee, privately, quietly. And this mighty angel's words to Mary was simple, and they speak to the most basic human cry of the heart. Someone is with you, Mary. Someone's on your side. Someone loves you. And they will never stop loving you. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's not a husband. It's not a child. It's the Lord the creator of everything was hot on her pursuit. And friends, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, that's your story too. You are not alone. Someone is with you, Mary. His name is Emmanuel. God's name means God with us. <laughs> You're not alone. You could be in the deepest ocean all by yourself, somehow living, and you're not alone. You could be on a desert island or on the moon. You're not alone, friend. God is with you. The advent of Christ means something quite extraordinary. That if we trust in Jesus Christ, we will never be alone again. Isn't that good news? You'll never be alone again. Because Christ has come, should you simply trust him, turn from your sin, believe in Christ, you are guaranteed that he is absolutely and completely involved in every single detail of your life. All of it. You have his aid, you have his attention, you have his direction, and you have his care. It's all yours. It's all at your disposal. And friend, this hope isn't deferred, right? It's 
present for you right now. Waiting. It's not waiting for you one day on the other side of eternity because God's kingdom has come into your life by faith in Christ. It's yours the moment you turn your heart from this world, from the evil one, and from sin to the God who longs to be with you at this moment. It's, and it is true, by the way, that there's a greater withness right, waiting for us when we enter into God's glory because we'll shed sin. That is true. There's a greater witness that awaits us, but it's still nevertheless here right now. His kingdom has come and he is with you. For the child of Christ, every single event that has ever happened to you, now I want you to, some of, some of you, our greatest challenge is just believing this and your, and your joy will rise. Every, for the child of Christ, Every single event, good or bad, whether they're your, your choice or not, first goes through the tender compassion of Christ for your health and for your glory. He said, well, I made, a, I made a sinful choice, and I'm being crushed under the weight of that sinful choice. Scripture tells me that there are consequences to sin in the lives of believers, so don't take this the wrong way. But the Bible says that even in our sin, God works all things for the good to those who love him, and are called according to his purpose. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't God work your life together for the good in Romans 8.28? Isn't it true that nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ in Romans 8.35-39? Wow. The advent of Christ is the advent of hope, securing union and being with the one you were made to be with. You were made to be with Yahweh. You were made to be with Emmanuel. And friends, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you'll never be alone again. Amen? But number two, the advent of Christ is the advent of a rescue. The advent of Christ is the advent of a rescue. And we see this in verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You have found favor favor. Two of the most profound words in all of scripture, that we have found favor with God. And it might not be that profound to you if you don't understand that you did not deserve his favor. Two times in verses 28 and verse 30, we're told that Mary found favor with God. Mary finds favor with God. And one author writes, Favor signifies God's gracious choice of someone through whom God does something special. God's gracious choice of someone through whom God does something special. A gracious choice. That means that we did not deserve to be chosen. God's favor in this context, as is often the case in Scripture, is unmerited. We didn't deserve it, in other words. As a matter of fact, we deserve the opposite of his favor. We deserved his just judgment. But he doesn't give this to us. He withholds, and we find favor with him. And he cleans us, and he makes us righteous, and he commissions us to live on great mission for him. There is nothing the object has done to ever merit or deserve God's favor. Friends, there is nothing that any of us have ever done to merit God's favor. Yet we've received it because he is gracious and he loves us. Noah, Gideon, Hannah, David, on and on. These people found favor with God. And you know, every single little kid Bible story book is, is grossly incorrect because almost all of them will say, Noah was a good man and he found favor with God. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible just says Noah found favor with God. Noah was just as wicked and sinful as anybody else. Noah was given grace and made righteous and set apart and sanctified. He did not earn God's favor because of his goodness and neither do we, friends. There is nothing in us that merits or deserves God's favor, God's favor, and no one has ever merited God's favor except for one, Jesus Christ. And because he merited God's favor, he can give us that favor in return. Graciously. Now, what could have made Mary afraid when Gabriel approached? 
aside from seeing an angel, right? <laughs> it seems plain to me, though, that when either God or his messengers, like angels, approach people in Scripture, very often they're judged, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses was met with the presence of God at the burning bush, do you recall? And he was told, take off your shoes because you are in the presence of a holy God and you stand on holy ground. To be in God's presence is to be consumed by his holiness or graciously made to stand in his holiness. You see? No sinner can be in the presence of God without being consumed by his righteousness. Because we all have sin. And Mary, no doubt, was considering that she might fall to the just wrath of God for her sin. But the angel says, Mary, you have found favor with God. God is forgiving you, Mary. God has taken away your sin. And friend, that's a cry of our heart, and it gives us hope. A deep cry of the heart, a, a passionate hope that all people have, whether you're religious or not, that we too will find favor. The Christian finds this favor in a very different way, I think, than any other religion or worldview offers. Because every other religion and worldview will tell you that you need to dance better or jump higher or live exemplary or measure up or make the grade. And if you do this, you'll find favor with people. You see? We earn favor in our culture. We even must earn our own favor, don't we? We even judge ourselves when we fall short of our own standards. We don't even favor ourselves with grace. But the favor God gives in Christ has nothing to do with you. You don't earn it. The favor God give, gives in Christ, the favor Mary found, and that any repentant sinner finds, is unmerited and undeserved. Everyone who receives God's grace only receives it on the basis of his kind initiative. You see? God was kind. If you know Jesus Christ, God was kind to you, gracious to you. And friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, he offers that graciousness to you this very moment. The hope that we have, excuse me, the hope that we have to be received with love, with approval, with desire, with applause, that's what this is. We want to be received with love. We want someone to approve of us, to desire us, to applause us. And all of life is a wrestling, a working that out, whether we be with a neighbor or with a parent or coworkers or a boss. But we have it in Christ. It's guaranteed to anyone who trusts that the advent of Christ is the advent of hope to be rescued from ourselves and God's fierce anger toward our sin. I want to read Psalm 18 to you right now. If you could just all close your eyes. Meditate on this, please, with me. Try not to be distracted. Christ took the anger, and you found favor. Psalm 18 says this, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The sneers, snares of death confronted me and in my distress I called to the Lord I cried to God for help and hear this from his temple he heard from his temple he heard my voice 
my cry came before him into his ears. And the earth trembled and quaked. And the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. Here comes our hero to rescue us from this death. He is angry at the death on us. He parted the heavens and he came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rains, clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of your, ble- of your breath from your nostrils. And hear this. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place, and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Wow. Do not be afraid, friends, because you have found favor. When you were lost in your sin and you carried death, God became angry. And he came down from heaven with blasts from his nostrils and his mouth to rescue you. And why did he do this? Because he delights in you. How on earth could God delight in me? Do you know me? Do you know my sin? Do you know what I've done? He delights in you, friend, and he rescued you. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, all of your sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. Do you walk in that? Do you believe in that? There's nothing better than that. There's no romance that's better than that. There is no other forgiveness that you can find, even from a human being, that's better than that forgiveness. You have been forgiven in Christ when you trust in his work for you. The Lord has trampled your greatest foe, and your greatest foe is your own death and sin. He has brought you into a spacious place. Did you know that? How many people have ever been in a cramped place? It's not fun. On a little tiny train in Boston where everyone is crowded around you, you want to scream. (laughs) But God has brought you into a spacious place. Because he delights in you. He has made you righteous when you trust in Christ. He's made you a new creature when you trust in Christ. Stop telling yourself that you're a bum. You're not. It's gone. It's gone. The advent of Christ is the advent of hope because by it we are rescued. Provided his unmerited favor and the acquittal of all our sin. Amen? Come on. Wake up. Amen? Thank you. Finally, the advent of Christ is the advent of hope because it secures for us a happy, peaceful, and everlasting home. That's our third point, a home. Verses 32 through 33, they read, He will be great, talking of Christ, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's the the world with windows. There's a kingdom coming where a lion will lie with a lamb, where we will bang our war tools into farm tools, and Jesus Christ will rule from Jerusalem in peace. Amen? And we won't have any more elections (laughs) because the king-elect... Jesus Christ, elected by his Father, will reign forever. Thanksgiving just passed, 
and Christmas is upon us. It's coming. The goose is getting fat. <laughs> and I can't help but consider um, that, that this point is much like our first, the hope of union. All of us remember, I think, when we were ch children during the holidays. You try to like, some of us have to rewind time a little farther than others. <laughs> but you kind of remember the holidays when, when you were a kid. And I remember being so mesmerized um, just by the transcendent power um, of, of everything during Christmas when I was a kid. You, you know what I'm talking about? Um, simple things in my home that I just, I can still smell things. I can still see them. You know what I mean? So many things I can, I see, smell, I feel, I hear. I can see uh, the ornaments hanging off our tree, dangling, and just kind of me having this childhood wonder looking at them, something so simple, right? I can, I, I can recall um, we had this silver star, this really gaudy thing, um, right on the top of our tree. Remember? Where's my mom? Is she here? Oh, she's in nursery. All right, well, okay, so I can make fun of it then. Um, I remember it. It was just like it had like the tinsel and lights in it and stuff. Um, I can smell um, our lasagna. She makes this great lasagna, still does. Um, baking in this old brown oven. You know the brown ovens from the 70s, right? Um, and I, I can hear, I can hear every single Johnny Mathis Christmas song in my head. <laughs> it's the most, right? I can hear it all. I, and you, go, you, you, you see all these. That's, it was home for me. You see, home, um, my home had its own share of brokenness. It did. But home meant so much for, uh, for me, and I'm, I'm sure it did for many of you too. It meant being with people who loved me. It meant having companionship. It meant, meant having safety. It meant having family. It meant being forgiven, you know, because like good families, at least, just tend to forgive you, don't they? It meant a place for me at the table. I was the guest of honor. That I had a place. I had a, I had a chair. And that, this is a very, very powerful image. And you, say, you might say, well, I had a really bad home. I had a very abusive home. I didn't have the home that you're describing. But, you, but can I just invite you to consider this? You know that you should have, right? And you know why you know you should have? Because there's a Father in Heaven with a home that is better than any of our homes. And He invites you to it. He invites you to the table. He forgives you. He gives you a place at His table. He gives you His love, His companionship, His family. The passion for home is in us because the advent of Christ is the advent of home for any repentant sinner. Do you remember Acts 26? We've been going through Acts in a series here at Refuge and um, not that long ago we were in this text which says this, I will rescue you and I am sending you to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place. A place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. A place. A place at the table. There is a little place setting with some silverware and a plate of food and a glass of wine waiting for you in heaven. It's got a card with your name on it if you believe in Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? To be sanctified means to be set apart, to be reserved for something, for something special. By faith in Christ, you have been reserved a, you have been reserved a place with Christ. And do you know that the Father in heaven loves you equally to the love that he has for Jesus? How is that possible? But he does. By faith in Christ, you have been adopted into God's forever kingdom and home. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Meditate on this. Memorize this passage. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Adoption of sons. The advent of Christ is the advent of sonship for us. Because you are his sons, 
God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Wow, an heir of the heavenly kingdom. Do you remember Moses gave up all the riches of Egypt? He sacrificed all the riches of his family name, all the power and prestige of it. But you want to know what he got in return? Instead of being an heir of all the wealth and power of Egypt, he became an heir of all the wealth and power of heaven. And friends, that's what the Advent offers you. John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. (laughs) That you may also be where I am. The, The child born in a manger that day, would be called great, the son of the most high God. He would be given the throne of his father David forever, for his kingdom will have no end. And all of Jacob's descendants, which we are by faith in Christ, will live in his home forever. Amen? Oh, we're going home, friends. And you know what? God births his home in us right now. His kingdom, his home, right? The Spirit of God testifies with us, Abba, Father. This isn't somewhere over the rainbow. One day when I'm, I die and I'm in glory, that will be when it's full and complete, but we have access to it right now. That means that life doesn't have to be miserable. It's, right? it's an environment. Wash out that environment. Have a change of heart. Remember the advent of Christ is the advent of hope. The hope of union the hope of rescue, and the hope of a home. Amen? Let's pray. God, it is wonderful. It is marvelous what you have done for us. God, we thank you. We cannot thank you enough. God, I remember that line in Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less faith to sing God's grace than when we first begun. God, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. We thank you that you heard our prayer in heaven and your nostrils blasted and lightning rained down the earth that the heavens split over, split open, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to crush Satan and to rescue us. And God, we thank you that because of that, because of that, we have hope. That you will and are with us, will be and are with us, that you have rescued us, and that we are home. God, you are so good to us. We love you. We thank you. If there's anyone here tonight that needs to repent of their sin and trust in Christ, because this is what's waiting for you, friend, there's nothing better than this. So would you turn from your sin, trust in Christ this moment. There isn't no magic prayer. You don't have to do a backflip or jump out of your seat. It is a change of heart. Cry out to God in repentance and faith. And you are adopted into his family. Oh, friend, if that's you, if you've done that for the first time, please just run up to me right when the service is done and tell me so that I can pray with you and rejoice with you. God, we love you. We thank you that you love us to the ends of the earth, to the moon and back. And we ask that you just bless this time of communion in Jesus' name. Amen.